Episode 22 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on January 23rd, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, Game Update 5.1 launches. It includes lots of Galactic Command changes. I'll give you the details on the good and the bad. Also this week, Eric Musco talked about in-game content as well as non-in-game content. I'll tell you what he had to say. Finally this week, Massively OP talked to Charles Boyd about a potential for a new adversary for the Old Republic now that the Sith Emperor is gone. I'll give you my thoughts on what that might look like. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to episode 22 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. First, as always, let's review some announcements for the Old Republic. And just a reminder that on January 26th, BioWare will hold a live stream to talk about future content coming in Star Wars The Old Republic later this year. I encourage you all to tune in, and even if you can't, the video and chat are archived on their Twitch channel, so you can always watch them after the fact, and I don't know about you, but I like to get my information uh, firsthand whenever possible, so if you can't make the live stream as it's happening, you can go back anytime after it's over and, and watch it at your convenience. Alright, Game Update 5.1 is live as of January 24th. Of course, it includes five new uprisings and significant changes to the Galactic Command System that I will go over in detail next, which, speaking of which, it is now time to slice the holonet and go over the news this week. And since the last podcast, Eric Musco took to the forums and filled in some of the gaps regarding the Galactic Command changes coming in 5.1. I'll cover those in detail in a moment, but first I wanted to go over some of the patch notes for 5.1, and I'm not going to read them all, but there are a few things of interest that you should be aware of outside of the Galactic Command changes. So first up, in terms of content that's being added in 5.1, Master Mode chapters for Knights of the Fallen Empire and Knights of the Eternal Throne are available. Of course, I mentioned there was five new uprisings, and they include these include Trench Runner, which is on Denova, Destroyer of Worlds, which is on Makeb, Divided We Fall, which is on Coruscant, Landing Party, which takes place on Rakata Prime. I think that's the one I'm most looking forward to, just because I like uh, Rakata Prime. And then the final one is Trial and Error, which takes place on a space station. So, some of the other notes. The Dark versus Light meta achievements have been granted to players who earn them. Remember, those disappeared uh, when 5.0 launched, and a lot of people were disappointed, myself included. They're now being returned uh, with 5.1. The limit on Galactic Alliance statues has been increased to 50 from 1, and this was the reward for staying continually subscribed to the game for 5 years, so hopefully... You hung on to your extras in hope that they would uh, make this exact change to the game. Uh, thankfully, I did. So uh, all of my other characters that received uh, copies of these have them. That said, 
if you deleted the ones on your existing characters, you could always go in there and create a character and claim the reward and just do that until you have 50 of them. So no real harm done if you happen to delete the ones that you got uh, on your uh, existing characters. Uh, let's see what else. Changing instances no longer causes companions to lose class buffs. I do this all the time, and quite frankly, I didn't even notice that this was an issue. So if I was affected by this, I really couldn't tell, but I do like to instance hop, especially when doing these planetary quests. Uh, so um, glad to know that this was fixed. Quite frankly, didn't even know that this was an issue. Uh, the cartel market item stash has been increased to 500 slots, so you can just hoard even more stuff if you happen to get uh, cartel market packs. The Galactic Command planetary missions now correctly grant a bonus when highlighted. Thank the Force, because I do do a lot of these uh, planetary missions for uh, Galactic Command, and it just bugs the heck out of you, right? You see it as the bonus, which it was the other day, and then you do it, and you don't get a bonus, and it's really annoying. And then finally, Lord Anril can no longer be duped into jumping to his own death circumventing his encounter and the Fractured Uprising. So we talked about the Fractured Uprising bug uh, slash exploit the last couple of episodes, and it is now fixed as of 5.1. So moving on to the uh, Galactic Command changes that uh, are coming are here now, I guess, in 5.1. And uh, we knew we already knew that the ops bosses would drop unassembled gear pieces that could be used in conjunction with the new command token currency to purchase set gear from a vendor. We also knew that in PvP, you would get unassembled components which could be used to purchase unassembled gear pieces. Well, now we know the costs, the drop rates, as well as which bosses drop which items. So regarding the command tokens, each crate will drop them based on the tier of the crate in the following amounts. So tier 1 you'll get 5 tokens per crate. Tier 2, 8 tokens. And Tier 3, 12 tokens. And again, these tokens are a legacy-wide currency, which will be retroactively granted based on your command rank when 5.1 launches, which of course is today. Uh, regarding the unassembled gear pieces, the last boss of each operation has a 100% chance to drop unassembled gear pieces. You will see two pieces for an 8-man operation and four pieces in 16 man each other boss in an operation has an increasing chance to drop them uh, the second boss having a higher chance than the first boss and so on now as to which boss drops what uh, here's the list so here are the drops for tier one and tier two gear which come from story and veteran difficulty so implants in earpieces will drop from eternity vault the relics will drop from karaga's palace the chest from Explosive Conflict, legs from Terror from Beyond, hands will come from Scum and Villainy, boots, the Dread Fortress, head, the Dread Palace, the offhand will come from the Ravagers, the main hand from Temple of Sacrifice, and then the bracers you'll get from McKeb, this is the Golden Fury, as well as the Ghoul event, uh, the boss I believe is called Eyeless, and then from the belt you'll get this from Zyost, which is the Worldbreaker Monolith, as well as the Xeno Analyst from the Gree event. And remember, this is, are the guaranteed drops from the final boss of each of those instances. Now, for tier three, which come from master difficulty, here is where you'll be able to get those. 
Relics and implants will come from explosive conflict. Legs and earpiece will come from terror from beyond. Hands and chest will come from scum and villainy. Boots and offhand will come from the dread fortress. Head and main hand will drop from the dread palace. Now, implants will come from the Ravagers, and there's also a chance that you might see the Tier 3 in Veteran mode for the Ravagers. Uh, the Relic will come from the Temple of Sacrifice, and again, there's a chance you might see the Tier 3 drop in Veteran mode. Uh, bracers will come from Makeb, that's the Golden Fury, and the Eyeless Boss from the Rackgull event, and again, chance for Tier 3 to drop in Veteran mode as well as Master mode. And then finally, the Belt will come from the Worldbreaker Monolith on Zyost, as well as the Xeno Analyst from the Gree event, and you will see a chance to have the Tier 3 drop in Veteran Mode for those as well. So those are all the guaranteed drops from all the bosses in operations. Now, regarding the unassembled gear piece vendor. So, okay, so you run an ops op and you get an unassembled gear piece. Now what, right? Well, you go to the vendor and you buy your set piece. And remember, the unassembled gear piece will be for a specific slot. So here are the command token costs by tier um, for each each piece. And remember the item ratings on the gear, by the way. For tier 1, it's going to be 230. For tier 2, tier 236. And for tier 3, it will be 240. But the chest, legs, head, hands, and feet are going to cost 10 command tokens for tier 1, 15 tokens for tier 2, and 24 tokens for tier 3. Uh, the waist and the wrist will cost 7 tokens for tier 1, 10 for tier 2, and 15 for tier 3. The implants, uh, the relics, and the earpiece, they will cost 8 tokens for tier 1, 12 tokens for tier 2, and 18 for tier 3. And then finally, the main hand and the offhand will cost 12 tokens for tier 1, 18 for tier 2, and 28 for tier 3. Those will be your most expensive items. So just as an example, if you run Explosive Conflict in Story Mode and you get the unassembled gear piece from Kephis, it will be for a tier 1 chest piece. You take it to the vendor and purchase the chest, fee, chest piece for 10 command tokens. All right? Pretty straightforward. Now that's for operations. If you PvP or play Galactic Starfighter, that's right, Galactic Starfighter, you will earn unassembled components at the following rates. And uh, brace yourselves here, folks. Uh, you will get five unassembled components for a Warzone win, two for a Warzone loss, three for an Arena win, one for an Arena loss, five for a Solo ranked win, two for a Solo ranked loss, eight uh, for a group ranked win, three for group rank loss, eight for a galactic starfighter fighter win, and three for a galactic starfighter loss. So now let's talk about the item costs from the vendor, and the following costs are to purchase tier one unassembled gear pieces. Chest, legs, head, hands, and feet will cost you 100 unassembled components. The waist and the wrist will cost you 75 unassembled components. Implants, earpiece, and relics will cost you 80 unassembled components. And then the main hand and the offhand will cost you 120 unassembled components. And keep in mind that Tier 1 is the only tier that you can directly purchase. In order to get Tier 2 or Tier 3 unassembled pieces, you will need to turn in the previous Tier Armor piece along with the requisite amount of unassembled 
components. And here are the tier two and tier three unassembled component costs. Chest, legs, head, hands, and feet will cost you 150 unassembled components for tier two and 225 for tier three. The waist and the wrist will cost you 115 unassembled components for tier two and 175 for tier three. Implant, earpiece, relics, 120 for tier two, 180 for tier three. And then finally, the main hand and offhand will cost you 180 for tier two and 270 unassembled components for tier three. And remember, this is just to purchase the unassembled gear pieces, which you will then take to the unassembled gear piece vendor and combine with tokens to get the actual gear. Okay. Utterly confused yet? Well, it's really not that bad. I mean, continuing from my previous example, you ran explosive, con- uh, explosive conflict story mode and you got a tier one unassembled chess piece, which you then turned into the tier one chess piece, it's piece itself. You then run a bunch of PvP and Galactic Starfighter. You can convert that Tier 1 chest piece into a Tier 2 chest by going to the unassembled component vendor and turning in your two Tier 1 chest piece along with 150 unassembled components to buy a Tier 2 unassembled chest gear piece. You could then go to the gear piece vendor and turn in that unassembled chest gear piece along with 15 command tokens to buy the tier 2 actual piece of armor. You could then rinse, you could then, yeah, repeat the process, excuse me, and go back to the unassembled component vendor and turn in that tier 2 chest along with 225 unassembled components to get your tier 3 unassembled chest gear piece. Now, I don't really PvP or do Galactic Starfighter, although I'm seriously considering putting some effort into Galactic Starfighter right now, but regardless, these payouts are too low. I don't know what else to say. I haven't mathed it out because I don't think I need to. It's just too low. I mean, this is a PvP grind. I mean, you're going to have to play match after match after match. Same with Galactic Starfighter. You're just going to have to play a ridiculous number of matches just, just to earn the components uh, to get the gear. Um, it's too low. Uh, there is going to be a game update 5. Dot one dot one. So I would start lobbying now to get these uh, payouts up because the PvP and the Galactic Starfighter payouts are just simply too low. All right. So additionally, there are a couple of things being added to help speed up the process of leveling your Galactic Command. And these are some changes I like, actually. First, there is a new character legacy perk that you can purchase that will increase all command XP earned by two, four, six, eight, ten percent. Uh, the data mine cost for this perk, I believe, is a total of three point five million. So just kind of hold your nose and, and buy it, I guess. Um, and I believe this will be for a total of ten percent increased XP, meaning there will be five ranks that grant two percent each. Uh, I don't believe it's a 30% boost because there is another boost that you can buy with command tokens and it provides a 15% boost and it stacks with the legacy perk. So I can't imagine they give us a 45% boost here, although I would absolutely love that. No, I think the total of the perk and the new boost will be 25%, which matches the cartel market boost, boost, right? And by the way, the cartel market boost does not stack with these new boosts. Uh, as far as the command boosts themselves that you can purchase, they are specific to a tier 
and they cost as follows. Tier 1 will cost you 20 command tokens, Tier 2, 28, and Tier 3, 44 command tokens. Now remember that these changes are all in addition to how the system was initially rolled out. You still get gear from command crates, so there's something to be said for investing in these boosts and trying to power your way to Tier 3. Certainly, if you're a solo player and don't do Ops or PvP or Galactic Starfighter, that's a smart way to go. Otherwise, you'll have to do some planning, especially if you do Ops and PvP, because you may want to focus on converting all of your existing Tier 1 pieces directly to Tier 3. Uh, one thing Eric Musco didn't provide is the Valor requirement to access the unassembled component vendors. So you're going to have to wait for the game to come out, or the the 5.1 to, to go live and log into the game and just find out exactly what that requirement is. I did look at the patch notes and it all it mentioned was that the vendor existed and it had a valor requirement. Did not mention what the valor requirement was and I haven't been able to find it any anywhere. So I don't know uh, what that is going to be, but that is just something you're going to have to keep in mind um, for that unassembled component. You're just not going to be able to, you know, PvP from day one, start getting unassembled components and just go to town and start upgrading your gear, you will have to have that Valor requirement, and we do not know what it is at this time. Now, there were some other things that Eric addressed this week, including operations lacking for CXP, and this is what he had to say on that. Uh, we have been looking at all of the places that players can earn CXP, and although, although our intent is that operations, especially veteran slash master, would be the best source of CXP, that is not true currently. We have been working to rebalance the CXP gains of operations across the board so that they are at least on par with the best sources of CXP in the game. We plan to include these changes with patch 5.1.1, but we'll give you more information on scheduling once we lock it down. So expect to see uh, the CXP gains from operations going up uh, with the next minor patch after this one. Uh, he also talked about Galactic Command gearing being alt-unfriendly, and he said one of the biggest concerns expressed is Galactic Command forces a player into working only on one character. That is a true statement. Although that wasn't our intention, we agree with you. For starters, in 5.1, we're implementing the legacy-wide currency of command tokens that the legacy-bound uh, boosts you can purchase with command tokens and the legacy perk to speed up leveling. We know that isn't enough. Whew. So we are exploring additional options so that when you are playing any character, there is their way to potentially provide benefit to all characters in your legacy as well. I have no specifics to share at this time, but I am working to have more details available for our January 6th live stream. So some potentially good news there, and I'll, I'll, I'll expand on that in a second. And then I think one of the last things he, he talked about regarding Galactic Command was the command rank leveling speed. And he said, we monitor command ranks across the game along with player feedback on the rate at which players are leveling. The legacy perk and additional boost will help speed up leveling, but we will continue to review. Let's see how it feels after 5.1. We'll discuss with you and make further adjustments if needed. Now, I think at some points adjustments will absolutely be needed, especially as they close in on another expansion. At some point, they'll have to loosen the reins, whether it's an across-the-board reduction in CXP needed to level or special CXP events where it's boosted, they'll have to do something because it is such a grind. And the closer we get towards the end of the expansion, it actually becomes a deterrent to wanting to start another character or, or just come back to the game, period. 
I mean, if you're someone looking to come back or even start on an alt, it'll be too big of a hill to climb. So at a minimum, as we get into the summer months, they'll need to do something because it will be impossible to make any real headway on a new tune the later we get in the year. And so as grindy as it is, I suspect, um, you know, that they, they will absolutely have to make changes just, just to increase the gains or else, you know, people are just going to want to, they will just stop playing because it won't be worth it, uh, the closer we get to the end of the expansion. That said, I mean, uh, I think with 5.1, we may start to see the complaining calm down a little bit as, uh, players start to get geared up. You know, you know, you know, if the 5.1 changes help, we'll have to have to see. I mean, I hit rank 42 today and it's moving along, but I'm still 38 levels away from tier two, right? So it's onward and upward. I will say this. I have gotten, uh, some duplicate set pieces, uh, which I have been able to give to, uh, an alt. So I've been playing on my mercenary. I have a second mercenary. So that has helped a little bit, right? And even some of the, the other uh, prototype pieces that I, that I haven't need. I have been in that sense, been able to take some of the items and pull out the mods and, and enhancements and things and give those over to the alts. So that, that helps, uh, a little bit, but, I, but more, more needs to be done in this regard. I, cause I just think it is, is too slow. And then I believe the last thing he's kind of talked about was new end game content. And he said, we know addressing the gearing concerns is only half of the equation, whether it came from the forum, social media, or even focus groups. The feedback is that you want more large group and MMO content, such as the daily areas and operations. We'll be discussing these very topics in our live stream next Thursday, January 26th. So come join us. Um, and of course, this focus on end game content drew some concerns about, you know, the la- other, the non-endgame content, right? About stories and companions, and, and this is what Eric had to say about that. Just to set some expectations, we do have a renewed focus on MMO and group content, but this in no way means that we will only deliver that content and nothing else. Different content is not mutually exclusive. In fact, it is often in support of each other, and again, he alluded to the Oricon and the Dreadmasters as an example, and he said, we are still Bioware Story and companions will remain a cornerstone of Star Wars, the old Republic. Well, someone buy this man a beer because, right, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't, right? Uh, but that said, you know, if you look at the content that's been released, it sure feels like different content is indeed mutually exclusive. We know they're capable of delivering things like ops and a daily area simultaneously, but we haven't seen this since Shadow of Revan. And you can't blame anyone for concluding that there has been a change in philosophy and direction away from group content. Now, I do do believe they'll announce a new op on Thursday, and if they do, I'll talk about it next week. But, you know, since Eric did say that story is still a cornerstone of the Old Republic, I'd like to talk about that now. And originally, I had planned to continue my Knights of the Eternal Throne chapter deep dive. Uh, but in the interest of keeping this show short, or relatively short, I'm instead going to talk about an article written by Larry Everett, uh, that I read on Massively OP called uh, Swotor Creative Director Discusses a New Adversary. And in the article, Larry asked Charles Boyd about the decision to kill Tenebrae and be done with him as the main villain and if it felt like this was the end of Star Wars The Old Republic. And here's what Charles Boyd said regarding coming up with the story for Knights of the Eternal Throne. Tenebrae has been the central villain of The Old Republic until now. Is it safe to kill him off? Will that signal the end of the game? Will people think that it's over? There was a legitimate fear that we had on the writing team. A huge credit to 
Ian Ryan, our lead writer now, Hal Hood, Drew Karpishin, Samantha Walshiger, uh, Courtney Woods, and Sean McKeever. They were really brave about it and said, no, we need to move this story forward, and that's the move that we need to make. If that makes our jobs a little more difficult down the road, then that's what we, we've got to do. We can't be afraid to have a conclusion. We can't be afraid to tie one thing off. Close one door and open another. Now, I've said this before. I love that they take chances with the story. I love that they're willing to kill off characters and not keep them around because we like them or because it would be sad to see them go. They're willing to do what it takes to tell a good story. They're willing to do what it takes to tell a strong story. And I've also said before that they've been very good about cultivating characters in the game and taking these seamlessly minor characters and using them to fill voids, which I think is important. One of the questions Larry brought up was, where do you go from here? Do you introduce someone new or build someone that build on someone that currently exists? And here's what Charles Boyd had to say about that. I'm speaking in total theoreticals here, he said. Do you bring someone back? Do you introduce someone totally new? Do you play up someone that you already know and have them become the villain? There are all sorts of options there that I think are potentially interesting. You may get to see which one we went with here in a few months, but we have nothing to announce yet. This is a big question, and there are trade-offs to be had um, for sure. The main advantage of elevating someone that exists is that is they're familiar. We know a little bit about them. We've interacted with them and maybe even bonded with them to some degree. They fit into this world, and it creates this natural evolution of the world itself, of the story itself. On the other hand, if you create someone completely new, you are less constrained and have a lot more creative freedom, but it also requires that you spend a lot more time introducing us to this character and creating their backstory and making sure it fits with everything that's come before. So what would I like to see? I want a combination of both. I mean, I think for the main antagonist, I want someone completely new. That doesn't mean the next story needs to lead off with that person. They could be like a Snoke or or, or Palpatine, the way he was in New Hope. Someone lurking in the shadows and pulling some strings. Eventually we'll get to them, but first we have to go through some of his minions, which could be familiar characters. Certainly, Darth Malgus is a character who is ripe for coming back, but I don't necessarily see him as the main villain or an overarching threat to the galaxy at this point. He might be someone we go through on our way to the real villain, and he's also someone that may be better as an ally and, of course, a companion, um, instead of, instead of the bad guy. So, but to that end, though, I think the galaxy is in an awkward place right now. We're in control of Zakul, but when we're not part of the Empire or the Republic, yet we live on their fleets. I mean, there are a number of things that need to be cleaned up uh, as we move into the next next story. And, and another thing I'd like to see is more ties with the current Star Wars universe. I mean, Rebels and presumably the new trilogy, they seem to be diving into ancient aspects of the Force. And I really want to see that carry over into the Old Republic. And I wouldn't mind if the next story begins, for example, say with this tension, renewing the tension between the Jedi and the Sith. And maybe it's approaching a a state of war. And then we make this discovery of an artifact or a holocron or a map from Valkorion's vault, right? There's a lot of potential for interesting stuff to be found in Valkorion's vault. And maybe this information that we grab hints at the first Jedi temple, uh, a place that predates 
Tython. And of course I'm referring to, was it Octu, uh, where Luke went into hiding in The Force Awakens and where The Last Jedi, yes, that is the name of Episode 8, will presumably start. And maybe this would start a hunt to find this place. And the Jedi want to find it for obvious reasons. And you could also see why maybe the Sith would want to find this as well because they'd be interested to see whatever secrets it holds or maybe even prevent the Jedi from finding it and becoming more powerful. Whatever. You could, you could easily come up with reasons why both parties would be interested in, in, in figuring this place out. And so maybe that would be the first big choice you'd make in this next story is which side do you help? The Sith Empire or the Galactic Republic? And this could start two very different story arcs and would involve us maybe even handing over the Eternal Throne to someone on Zakul and just saying goodbye to all of that, right? Because at some point we're going to have to get off the throne here um, to start on a new adventure. I don't see how we sit there as rulers of some section of the galaxy and yet go gallivanting uh, along like we do. Uh, of course, the problem here with that idea is the expansion would likely release around the time of The Last Jedi, which is coming out December 15th and 2017. And there's probably a lot of information about Octu that they couldn't uh, reveal or, or they probably don't even have access to. But what they could do maybe is break the story into two parts. And the first nine chapters would be about amassing the resources and just beginning the hunt and ending with our arrival on that, on that planet. You know, maybe do another nine chapter story arc. And then the second part of the story, the next nine chapters could be told in the next expansion. And this would come out right 2018. And this could build on the concepts revealed in The Last Jedi and maybe some other things that are revealed in novels and Star Wars, Star Wars Rebels. So I, I've not fleshed this out in any great detail, but my point is I think it's time to tie the game and the story back to current Star Wars. And no, I'm not talking about time travel. And no, I don't want to see any Skywalkers, but at least to some of the places and concepts that we're starting to see, especially regarding the Force. So that's it for this this week. Uh, next week, I'll talk about the live stream and resume uh, my Knights of the Eternal Throne deep dives. But with that, I hear the music and that can mean only one thing. You've managed to survive another half hour listening to episode 22 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast all over the place. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Buzzsprout, I think Podbean even. Uh, you can also listen to the show directly from uh, the show website, which is SotorPodcast.com. You can subscribe to the RSS feed. Uh, if you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. I promise I'll read it and maybe even on the show and, and try and get, a, get you a good answer. Um, you can also tweet questions to at SotorPodcast and be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the podcast. Look for episode 23 on January 31st, 2017. And remember the Sith Code, cake is alive.